TomDispatch.com. This is TomCast. Interviews and insight from Tom Dispatch contributors for anyone seeking a deeper understanding of their post-9-11 world and a clear sense of how their global imperial system actually works. I'm Timothy McBain. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking again with Juan Cole, the Richard P. Mitchell Professor of History and the Director of the Center for South Asian Studies at the University of Michigan, and author most recently of Engaging the Muslim World. Juan and I talked about the current economic sanctions against Iran and their consequences. Can you talk about the specific pressures the U.S. government is exerting on Iran, and how long will it take before we witness the consequences? We're already witnessing some consequences in that uh, Iran's production has declined somewhat. The United States is threatening countries with third-party sanctions, that is to say, If a firm or government buys petroleum from Iran, the United States will slap U.S. Treasury Department sanctions on that entity and and decline to let it deal with the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy is a $15 trillion economy. It's dynamic. People want to be in the U.S. economy and investing and trading. So it's a powerful threat. And uh, the European Union has acquiesced and the U.S. is now beginning to pressure some others to stop buying Iranian oil under pain of being cut off. They have also made it very difficult for anyone to to trade with Iran because they've had Iran kicked off major uh, bank exchanges. So if a country wants to buy Iranian petroleum, uh, it's increasingly difficult to pay for it, uh, just to send the money to Iran. And so uh, countries have started doing deals. India is going to pay for the petroleum in part in rupees, which is a soft currency that locks Iran into having to buy things from India with it. Iran is talking about using gold, barter. So the, uh, the sanctions are beginning to bite. And what are some of the other countries who have not acquiesced to the U.S. pressure of of boycott, and uh, how are they managing to avoid these problems that you talk about? So far, the European Union is on board with the sanctions, but other countries are not. It depends on whether they have traditionally imported a lot of petroleum from Iran and whether they think they can replace that petroleum from other sources reliably. So China absolutely has declined to join in the boycott. It's nervous about depending on Iranian petroleum because the boycott may succeed, but so far it, it has, has not volunteered to surrender to, the, to U.S. Uh, strong-arm tactics. Uh, India is bucking the U.S., and Japan has sought and been given an exemption from the stringent U.S. sanctions because of the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Iran is in a a hard place with regard to energy, so it is trying to cut back on Iranian imports, but uh, the U.S. doesn't expect Japan to make that kind of sacrifice right now. Uh, South Korea uh, is seeking an exemption. Uh, It imports uh, quite a lot of Iranian petroleum, about 10% of its imports. And so Asia, in general, is is not so eager to go along with this plan, in part because they they import about 64% of of Iran's petroleum. 
and uh, have had long-term uh, relations with Iran, and because they're unconvinced that there is a good substitute for Iranian oil in the medium term. Historically, how successful have sanctions and boycotts been, and whom do they really affect? Do they affect the government more or the people? Historically, boycotts have not been very successful as a way of changing government policy or overthrowing governments. Uh, in the 1990s, in the wake of the Gulf War, the United States and the United Nations imposed among the most stringent boycotts we have seen on Iraq and probably didn't allow in enough food to properly feed the population for bad chlorine for a while, which can be used uh, in weapons making, but also is absolutely key to water purification. And uh, so the, the, the result of the sanctions on Iraq were an increase in infant mortality. Uh, babies that, that drink dirty water get stomach diseases and diarrhea, and they become dehydrated and die. Uh, and uh, it's estimated by public health specialists that as many as half a million Iraqi children died because of those sanctions, uh, because of excess mortality. In addition, of course, the government is deprived of, of money for upkeep. So, you know, the number of schools uh, declined. The literacy went backwards. Uh, the economy was really thrown down to, from being an oil economy and being wealthy to being that of a fourth world country. And yet uh, the Ba'ath government uh, trucked on. Uh, the government owned the petroleum that was exported and so got the receipts from any sales and so they cushioned themselves. If you were a high-up member of the Ba'ath Party, you just didn't suffer from those sanctions. They passed the costs on to the people. And with these, these sanctions and the, the blockade, is you've talked about people who are joining in, you know, like the EU joining in, and people who are just sort of keeping their distance. Is there anybody actively opposing it? Well, I think uh, the countries of the world are sufficiently afraid of U.S. economic sanctions that uh, they're not very vocal in opposing it. But China uh, has been among the more strident in rebuking the United States. And remember that these sanctions are unilateral. They're simply something that the U.S. Congress and the president uh, have agreed upon and go far beyond anything uh, mandated by the United Nations Security Council. So China and India have both said that they would conform to the sanctions on Iran called for by the Security Council, but not anything beyond that. They, they don't see a reason for which the United States should be able to dictate this policy to the world. Russia has also been critical uh, of uh, this policy, Turkey has complained about it. Russia, of course, is a petroleum producer itself, and so it doesn't import petroleum from Iran. It's not affected by the, uh, by the entire program, but it simply objects to the U.S. Uh, holding the world hostage in this way. This embargo on Iran is, is a very dangerous way of proceeding. Blockades in history have often caused wars because the country that's being strangled ultimately may decide to fight back. So the sanctions proponents often say that they are an alternative to a shooting war, uh, but they can easily 
descend into a shooting war. Uh, so the, the block, a financial blockade on Iran uh, is a dangerous way to proceed. There could be consequences from it. Uh, moreover, the point of the blockade is to try to get Iran to give up its nuclear enrichment program. At the moment, Secretary of Defense uh, Leon Panetta says that that program is a civilian program that the Iranians have not decided to go for an atomic bomb. But if enough pressure is put on Iran that it becomes afraid about its future, it seems to me that you could well uh, have this degree of sanctions backfire, and uh, Iran uh, could decide uh, that the only way to guarantee its uh, future would be to weaponize its its uh, enrichment program. So there, it seems to me that sanctions on Iran to punish it for its program or to dissuade it, to bring it to the negotiating table, could have been uh, a rational policy. But going to a, an attempt to strangle the Iranian economy to prevent Iran from exporting any petroleum that uh, that seems to me a very dangerous uh, a blockade that uh, could produce the opposite of what it's intended to produce. To read Juan Cole's latest article, Why Washington's Iran Policy Could Lead to Global Disaster, What History Should Teach Us About Blockading Iran, please visit TomDispatch.com. You can also read more from Juan at his informed comment blog at juancole.com. His latest book, Engaging the Muslim World, is available at amazon.com or at any quality bookstore near you. I'm Timothy McBain, and until we meet again, thanks for listening.